All right. Man, it is good to be with you guys. It's so good to see you guys. We are in the book of 2 Corinthians. So uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. Uh, Don't be shy. We have some people walking around. 2 Corinthians is where we're at, chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one. Um, Listen, as we are turning on, uh, opening up our Bibles and just turning there, let me share a couple quick things with you guys. Uh, We announced this a few weeks back, but I'm very excited about this. Uh, For our first time ever, we're going to be doing something called Alpha. Now, you've heard a lot about this, I know, but maybe you haven't yet. Alpha is a way for us just to engage with people when it comes to the big questions of life. Alpha is going to be an eight-week course or series that we run here on Wednesday nights, and this is really a way for us just to engage with people who don't know Jesus, don't believe in Jesus. Maybe they, they said, I'm done with religion, I'm done with the church. Um, this is not something for Christians. This is where Christians invite people who are far from God and say, hey, come, talk about the big questions of life. Uh, we played a video before, we'll show another one next week, but Alpha is just a way for us. We want to engage with our community well. Uh, we want to live on mission. We don't want to have like a drive-by, hit-and-run evangelistic moment. We want to say, hey, come. We want to do life with you. We want to share a meal with you. We want to dialogue with you just about the big questions of life. Obviously, ultimately leading to the conversation to Jesus. But um, this will start September 1st here on Wednesday nights. So Alpha, if you're, again, you're not familiar, it basically will start with a meal. We'll just eat, a, eat some food, hang out. Uh, there'll be a video we play, and then we'll have tables and just talk about it. That's really it. Um, our hope is that this is just a friendly environment where truly anyone can come and dialogue, like I said, about, about uh, faith. Why do we exist? Why are we here? Is there purpose? Is there meaning? How do we determine what is right or wrong morality? We're just going to walk through a video, uh, a series, and kind of go through this. This started in the UK as just a way to kind of deal with those who said, like, religion's dead, and it seems to be very fruitful, and it's kind of been expanding into Africa, Europe, here in the States, and so we want to be a part of this. So if you're like, what's Alpha? Um, you can go to our website, read more about it, and we also need you to sign up since we are, you know, buying everyone dinner. If you just want to come and attend, sign up, and uh, if you want to invite some people, have them sign up. Um, we really want to invest in this. This is going to be something we put our time, our energy, our money, our resources into. Uh, we want to feed people. We want them to hear the gospel of Jesus ultimately. We want to have a conversation. Uh, we want it to be raw where people can express anything and everything. So join us Wednesdays. This Wednesday is Alpha Team Night where we do a training for Alpha. Um, we'll have some volunteer positions up here. If you want to greet, if you want to help be a part of the, the host or the conversation at the table, uh, if you want to set up tear down production, if you want to set up the meal, help kind of prep the food, that would be awesome. So that is Alpha Team Night here at the school. Uh, we'll start at 6.45 with a meal and kind of do like a rehearsal of what Alpha will look like. Cool? Sound good? Yes? You believe in reaching people for Jesus? Yes. Come to Alpha. Um, We really want to be part of this. We actually just got some more flyers for that. We don't want any of these left, so grab some flyers, take them to work, pass them out to your neighbors, take a picture, text it to someone. Uh, We want them to know about Alpha. Cool? Yes? Because we want them to know about Jesus. There we go. All right, that is that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Let's just jump right in. Uh, If you've been with us, we've been making our way through this book almost most of this year. We want to walk through this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because the hope is uh, that we can understand just how to live as a follower of Jesus. How do we now live? We kind of looked and been praying over 2021, uh, just this year, as like, God, help this be a new way for us to live. We came out of a year, I think, that there was a lot of just back and forth, negativity, toxicness, just some, just some instability. And so we're kind of looking at this year as just a new way to live, a new way to do life. 
Um, we want to look at just spiritual health. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians is saying, hey, you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so what does it mean to live this new life? Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus on a daily basis? And so this brings us to chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians. Now, let me just explain a couple of things. As soon as we jump in, you'll see this. A lot of scholars believe that chapter 10 is actually a completely different book, a completely different letter to the Corinthians. If you, when we read it, you'll kind of see he changes tones a bit. Like, if you remember last week, he talked about generosity, gathering money to send to a church in, in need in Jerusalem, and then he ends chapter 9 by saying, and thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Like, it makes sense for the book to end there. Like, it just sounds like, all right, here's my farewell. We're thankful for the gospel of Jesus. Thanks be to God who's given us the best gift ever. And then chapter 10, the tone changes. Paul's really defending himself. He's actually calling out some false leaders in the church. I mean, it's a completely different tone. I really wanted to, to read and go through all of chapter 10 today, uh, but I just couldn't. So we're going to cover six verses, all right? Um, I really wanted to get through the chapter 10, but I'm like, there's just too much here. And today, what we're going to look at and what Paul focuses on is that there is a spiritual battle, there's a spiritual war, and it takes place in our mind. It takes place in our thought life. And so the title today is just the war in your mind, the war in your mind, or even really the war for your mind. Paul is talking about that there is a spiritual battle that often takes place that's in our thought life, in our mind, in our mindset. You know, it's interesting because the Bible does say a lot about uh, mindset, your thoughts, your self-talk, your thought life. The Bible has a lot to say about that. It's another way of just saying the Bible has a lot to say about mental health. I feel like that's a very just like, you know, in topic from people coming out just saying, hey, I'm just struggling with my mental health issues, and people are being very open and honest. I'll say the Bible has a lot to say about that. A lot of times it describes it as our soul. What I love is just so often how God just says, you know, in, in Psalm 23, for example, how he restores our soul. That God cares about our thoughts. He cares about our mindset, our perspective, the way we view each other the way we view ourselves, the way we interact. I think we all know that in our minds, there really is oftentimes just a battle taking place that maybe there's insecurities we bring, maybe there's anxieties we bring, fear we bring to like a moment, a gathering like this. All these different thoughts are running through your heart and mind. And I really do believe that even as we just walk through this today, that Jesus wants to set us free from many thoughts and perspectives that do harm maybe to us or others, judgmental, critical things that ultimately kind of keep us captive. And so we're going to walk through just uh, the gospel and just our mindset. We're going to look at the war that takes place in our minds. Again, the Bible has a lot to say about this. I'm actually just even studying all week. I feel like this is going to be used as like a jumping board to more text, more scripture, because there's so much here. I love what Paul said in Philippians 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about humility. But he says, the mind of Christ, we want that in you. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. There is something about just as followers of Jesus, we want to adopt and take on the mind and thinking of Jesus. Not what do I think is best. What does the world think is best? Jesus, what do you say? We want to have this mindset that Jesus has. I love how Tozer talks about this because as we frame this conversation and walk through this today, uh, Tozer said something I think that's just absolutely profound. He says that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, who is God, what is he like, he says what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. So how do we view God? How do we let God and our view of God shape how we do life? 
do we let circumstances shape our view of God? Or do we let God shape our view of circumstances? And so this is what Paul is going to walk us through as we, as we talk through this. So uh, I think that you could say this is about mental health, mindset, perspective. I mean, the Bible just has a lot to say about our thought life and how we just do day-to-day life. So uh, let's just read this, and then we'll, we'll take, look at this as a whole. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verse 1 through 6, all right? And then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 6. Notice this. It feels, it truly feels like a different letter. So he ends with, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I, Paul... Myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble, one face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to lead us in this time. Father, we just want to thank you. God, there truly is no one like you. God, what comes into our mind right now is, God, that you are good, that you are holy, that, Jesus, we desperately need you. God, we do ask, my, my desire today is that this would not just be interesting information, but that, Jesus, your mind would be imparted to us, that we would have the mind of Christ, that, God, um, we would set our mind on things above, that, God, we'd set our mind on the things of the Spirit. God, everything your word says about just our thoughts, our mindset, our perspective, Jesus, we ask that you would renew that, reshape that, reform that. God, we ask that we just have your mind in every moment, in every situation. Lord, how we need you. God, I ask that you'd speak truth into people's lives today. Just any lies we're believing, that God, you just remind us of who you are, of what you've done, and that God, we would take every thought captive to obey you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for loving us way more. In a wonderful name, amen. I think we all agree that just thoughts and mindset is just incredibly powerful. You know, it's interesting how a certain mindset can maybe free you or it can almost like imprison you. Our mindset and our thoughts are really important. And I was thinking back to just when I was a kid and certain perspectives I had, certain mindsets I had. You know, it's funny because obviously raising a six-year-old and a two-year-old, I, you get to hear a lot of comments. And it's like, wait, what do you think about this topic? Just really interesting. I, I used to believe, I think, as a kid, just the most outrageous and outlandish things. And to me, it was reality, right? I don't know what it was, but when I was a little, little kid, I remember this fear. I had the fear of just cotton candy. Like, I hated I was afraid of cotton candy. I don't know what it was, but I remember I'd see, like, cartoons of it. And my parents like, oh, one day we'll go to the fair and get, like, cotton candy. And I remember just thinking like cotton candy. I don't know why I had this thought. If I eat it, I will die. So my mindset was if I eat this, I'm just going to immediately die. I have no idea why I had that mindset. I guess my brain, I remember thinking like it's like paper and you can't eat paper. I have no idea. You know how kids just get a thought in their mind and it's like their reality. So I remember the first of my parents were like, oh, cotton candy. They're like trying to give it to me. And I'm like freaking out, crying, like shove it down my throat. And I'm thinking they're trying to kill me here. Like it's weird. And I remember like I loved it. It dissolved my mouth. I'm like, wait a second. It didn't, it didn't kill me. Like, and it's weird how, like, I thought it would do one thing, it did something else. Like, I see this in my son. 
you know, we went to Disney years ago when that Frozen ride first opened up, and he was like two or three. He was just terrified of it. Like, after the ride's over, he thought that, that there's a snow monster in the ride. He's like, it ate us. The snow monster ate it. We went in its mouth, and we're like in its belly. And I'm like, we're not obviously in its belly. We're out walking around, and it didn't eat us. Like, if you've been on the ride, it's like a snow monster's off to the left, and it's like smiling. He thought it ate us. My wife had to go on YouTube and like show him the snow monster doesn't eat you, and he's like, that video's wrong, right? Like, it's just weird. That was his mindset. Like, he just thought that it ate him. You know, it's funny. I think every classic kid has this, like, example. But um, I remember as a child thinking there was truly a monster under my bed. Like, every night, I would, like, look under my bed. I'd have my dad look under my bed. And it didn't matter what I saw or my dad saw. He'd be like, hey, there's no monster. I'm like, there's a monster. Don't you remember, like, laying in, even as an adult, you lay in bed with your foot dangling over the bed, and there's no cover on your foot? And you're like, think this a demon's gonna grab your foot and like, drag you to hell. You're like, what is it? It's weird, right? Like, it doesn't matter what we like. We know it doesn't happen, but it's weird how like as much as my dad said it, I just believed it was there. It's crazy how we might all have like the same facts or the same information, but we take it to two completely different ways. It's interesting how a lie can become our reality. It's interesting how we we know something might not be true, but we made it true in our heart and our mindset and our perspective. And ultimately, that can manipulate our emotions, our decisions. I mean, we just see how, how important and powerful an idea is. Just how important and powerful our mindset is on something. You see, I think what I, what I love about the scriptures is this. Uh, Paul knew his reality, but he saw a greater reality. Paul was going to be imprisoned, and he goes, you know it, but when I'm imprisoned, it furthers the gospel. Paul's going to suffer. He goes, you know, but when I suffer, Christ is glorified. In my weakness, he's made strong. We'll see that later in chapter 12. Paul had such a bigger, a big mindset. You know, we know this, but you can't control what happens to you. But what I want to say is you can't control how you frame it. And Paul was really good at framing things. You and I can't control what happens to us, but how do we frame it? How do we view it? Paul's like, even though I'm in prison, God is doing something bigger. The gospel's going out. Even though I'm suffering, Jesus is getting glory. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it. So here's what Paul's kind of inviting us into as we'll walk through this text today. Um, we're going to kind of break it down into three, three parts, I guess you could say, uh, and we'll see what Paul is just showing us here. We're going to see uh, where is the war, where is the war. We're going to see the weapons of the war, and then lastly, we're going to talk about winning the war. Where is the war, the weapons of the war, and then winning the war. So first thing is this, where is the war? You caught it in verse 1 through 6. It's in our minds, our thoughts, every lofty opinion, our ideas. So let's just break this down. Let's read verse 1 again and get the context of what Paul is saying. Verse 1, what does Paul say? He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us, who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Uh, where is the war? Paul says we walk in the flesh, obviously we, we live our lives in the flesh, but the, this war is not in the flesh. So let's talk through this really quick. Here's, here's some of the context. Um, Paul now has to call out people who are calling him out. Paul planted the church of Corinth. He lived in the city of Corinth for 18 months, loved on these people, saw the church be birthed. He leaves. He's writing this letter to them later on. People have come in and say, hey, where's Paul? If Paul cared about you, he'd be back by now. You know, Paul's really bold in his letters, but when he's there face to face, he's pretty weak man. Like, he's a weak man. There's a lot of like, church historians who write about Paul and talk about Paul, that he possibly was very bold, but like, when you saw him, you're like, who is this guy? Like, didn't have a very strong presence. You know, one church historian from the second century says this about Paul. He says, it is clear that Paul has been accused of being a cowardly bully 
who is very good at writing domineering letters. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive, and his speaking, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now, this, this historian is basically, saying, here's what the Corinthians thought of Paul. He's a bully. He's domineering. He's, his, his words were very weighty, but then face-to-face, he wasn't like that. Now, imagine, like, this, these rumors going on around you. Like, imagine you had to hear, like, these rumors talked about you. What would that do to your mindset? What would that do to you, your perspective? You might want to fight back. You might want to be very domineering. Notice how Paul says, hey, listen, we come to the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. I find this very interesting. Like, look at how Paul says, I'm approaching you now with the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. And then what we're going to see is Paul is pretty strong. Like, what he says later in chapter 10, he's really addressing the issues pretty head on. He's not passive about it. But he's saying, hey, my approach to you is the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. I want to point this out because this is very important. Jesus only described himself one time in all of the Gospels. Jesus described himself one time. And you guys know the passage. It's Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus says, learn from me, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The one time Jesus describes himself, he says, I am gentle, I'm lowly. Another translation, I am meek. And Paul says, hey, we come to you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I remember teaching like back in the like, 10 plus years ago, a group of students, I'm like, I'm like, what does meekness mean? And they're like, weakness. I'm like, no. Like, I think we think it rhymes, so it means that. Obviously, we know that meekness, and the Greeks use it as like, a, like taming a wild stallion. Like, there's incredible power, but that power is under control. And, and Jesus says, hey, Jesus described himself as meek and lowly of heart. I love that's how Jesus describes himself. And Paul is about to call out some people. It'll be more intense, I feel like, as the weeks go on, the issues he's addressing. But he goes, I want you to know my heart in this. You know, what a good leader. What a great perspective as as leadership. If you've ever been around a very domineering leader, you know, have you ever had bosses who are like, well, I'm just like a bulldozer, man. I just bulldoze things over. Like, that's not our approach to things. He goes, I am meek. I am gentle. That's how I'm approaching you. But he's also very forward in what he's going to say. And then Paul is making it really clear, hey, we're in the flesh, but we not war according to the flesh. He goes, you're not my enemy here. They're not my enemy. This really is so important as we talk about spiritual warfare. Sometimes Christians can have this mindset. It's like us against the world. That's not a healthy mindset. The idea is that the world is not our enemy. You can look at different belief systems, different people groups. They're not our enemies. We would just say, man, in a sense, like, they're in need of medical attention. How the Bible puts it is, like, they need Jesus. They're not our enemy. They're not really an enemy of war, but more of a victim of the spiritual war. How do we come alongside them, love them, uh, just have a relationship with them, invite them to following Jesus with us? There's a side that Paul says, yes, we're in the flesh, but we're not war according to the flesh. Now, Paul will go on, obviously, and describe these lofty opinions and ideas, and here's what I want to get at. We obviously see that there's a battle in the mind. There's a battle for the mind. Again, the Bible has a lot to say about our mindset. Just here's a few verses. Uh, the Bible talks about a troubled mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. I mean, there's a lot of different mindsets you could say the Bible addresses and speaks into. An anxious mind, fearful mind. There's just so many mindsets the Bible speaks into. You know, this is very important. I think sometimes the world actually pulls from scriptural ideas and maybe twists them and abuses them. But I think the Bible does speak into our mindset. It's incredibly powerful. Maybe you know this verse, but it's Proverbs 23, 7. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Like, as you think, like, what your thoughts are, so often that's what you are. A lot of times, like, we, we believe into the thoughts we have. You go, I can't do this. I can never be this kind of person. God can never love me or forgive me. You know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So often the Bible counters these lies, obviously, with truth. We want to get to that. 
We want to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. It's so important, that self-talk that is going on in your life. I love how one author said it. He says, your life will always move in the directions of its strongest thoughts. Your life will always move in the directions of its strongest thoughts. You know, one of the best books I read that just talked about this was a book on leadership. And he basically asked this question of, what is the self-talk that goes on your mind? Think about the self-talk when you walked in here today. Like, and think about what were you telling yourself? Where you're thinking like, oh, these people are friendly. This is cool. I like this. This is sweet. Oh, look at food, coffee. Or you're like, no one's talking to me. Why are they wearing that? That's so weird. I don't want to sit here. Like, I'm just curious. Like, with the self-talk we have when we walk into any space or any room, it's very interesting what we tell ourselves, right? Like, we can meet someone for the first time and then automatically be critical. Or you can meet someone and say, man, Jesus loves this person so much. I can't wait to get to know them. Like, what is the, the self-talk going on in your heart and mind? I'll say this is one of the strongest things I feel like in my life. When my self-talk is good, I feel like the way I interact, the way I love, the way I pray, the way I serve is really healthy. When the thoughts or my self-talk is harmful, the way I interact is usually kind of harmful. Our self-talk and our thought life is just incredibly important. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I love what, um, uh, this has been said before, but I, I don't know who to give credit to it, but this thought of sow a thought, listen, sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, Reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You know, it just begins with a thought. You think about it, it's true. Like, man, it starts with a thought, maybe turns into a habit eventually, and that habit over time turns into your character, who you are, and ultimately your destiny, but it starts with a thought. There's just power. Those scriptures acknowledge that our thoughts are just incredibly powerful. Uh, I, I love this thought because it's just so true. When you walk into a place, if you want to find bad, you'll find bad. If you want to find good, you'll find good. If you walk into a relationship... Even I think the longer you're married, if you want to find bad, you can find bad. But you have to find, you have to fight to find good. You know, it's interesting. I love this an analogy or example, but you have two birds. You have a hummingbird and you have a vulture, right? They're both birds, but they're looking for different things. One bird is like looking for death. A vulture like goes around looking for death, looking for dead carcasses. And if it wants to look for death, it's going to find death. A hummingbird, it wants to find sweet, sweet nectar. And since it's looking for nectar, it's going to find nectar. The idea is like whatever it is you're looking for, you're going to find. And we have to realize just how powerful our, our thoughts are when it comes to this. Listen, uh, if you've ever just talked to anyone about this, obviously we know thoughts are powerful. A, a pretty good psychiatrist or, or just anyone who gives you counsel or wisdom will say, listen, uh, something to the effects of yeah, you determine the meaning of whatever happened to you. Like how you frame it, that you determine that. You determine what happened to you. You determine how you frame that and think about that. But here's what the gospel says. I love this. The gospel says, let Jesus determine the meaning of what happened to you. Believe what Jesus says about you. It's not so much like what, what you frame it, let scriptures frame what those things that happened to you. There are some things that have happened to myself and you and maybe things you've done. And you can just think now, this is who I am. This is what I am. And people say, hey, hey, you know, you need to determine how you, you frame that. Look at that. I'd say the gospel says, what does Jesus say about you? What does he speak over you? You are my son. You're my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are a new creation. What does Jesus speak over you and me? Our thoughts need to be framed through that. Jesus, what do you say about me? It does not matter what I think, what I feel about this, but what do you say and what do you speak over me? We have to realize there is this war. Listen, I, I said it kind of in the beginning, but I want to make sure it's clear. We have to stop interpreting God through the lens of our bad circumstances and instead interpret your circumstances through the lens of your good God. See, what happens is we go, my circumstances are bad, therefore God, you must be bad. And that's the wrong way of looking at it. 
if you view your circumstances through just the lens of God, God, you're good. So these things happen to me, I know you're going to work together for good. Like, God, I'm going to see, the, I'm going to see who you are, and I'm going to look at my circumstances through the lens of you. I see it through your character, your nature, your faithfulness, your goodness. And so I'm going to stop letting my circumstances define who, I, define who you are to me, but I'm going to let who you are define my circumstances. You know, if you've ever talked to anyone who, who's really turned their back on the faith or Jesus, a lot of times it's so often it's bad theology. They go, well, my circumstances were terrible. My mother died. This happened, this happened, this happened, and that's why I'm no longer following Jesus. And they're literally letting their circumstances define who God is, not saying, no, let God define what your circumstances are. And we have to see it through a new lens. And Paul's saying there is this war right now for your mind. There is a war for our mind. Like, we have to acknowledge this. One pastor, Adrian Rogers, says, when God gets ready to change you, God is going to change you by changing your thoughts. When the devil gets ready to corrupt you, the devil is going to corrupt you by corrupting your thoughts. When God is getting ready to change you, he's going to start with the thoughts. Devil still wants to do the same thing. It's just crazy how you just see someone end into a lifestyle of just sin or brokenness, maybe adultery, an affair, and it just started with a thought. Our thoughts are so powerful. It's funny how God can use our thoughts and just do an amazing good. God puts a thought on your heart. Hey, I want you to start an orphanage in a third world country. I want you to help this person or people group. I want you to come alongside. And this thought can do so much beauty in this world. Or the enemy can put a thought on your mind. It does so much pain and damage to those around you. You sow a thought. You'll reap eventually a habit. It just is so important. I, I know we get this, but I hope we really get this. You know, Paul, in the next chapter, and I have to point this verse out, is going to talk about how Satan is specifically attacking our thought, life, and minds. Actually, we'll put it up here. But in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 3, Paul writes, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Let me just explain this. One translation says, as Eve was deceived in the garden, by, so too I'm afraid that some of you will be deceived by the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. The word sincere is this word simplicity. Please hear this. There is such a simplicity in the gospel that is so profound. It might be simple, but it's simply profound. And oftentimes I've seen the enemy do this. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me I just believe on Jesus Christ and I will be saved? Yeah. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Yeah. That is too good to be true. It's too simple. It's too easy. Think about Eve in the beginning with just Satan. Wait a second. Did God really say the day you eat of this tree? that you'll, you know, sin will come into the world, that you'll have all knowledge. I mean, did God really, maybe God's withholding good from you. Maybe God, is, maybe God doesn't want you to be like him. And it's crazy how it just started with this thought. And what I'm trying to get at is just so simple. God's like, hey, it's simple. Walk with me, enjoy me, eat anything you want but this. It's so simple. And we complicated it. The gospel of Jesus is so simple. So often we complicate it. And he says, don't be deceived by the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Again, why? Because he's, whose minds, he says, whose thoughts will be led astray. Like Satan wants to just say, hey, it's too simple here. We read this a few weeks back in 2 Corinthians 4, but Paul said it this way. Paul said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. There really is right now, and I so believe this, a battle for your mind. That Satan wants to blind it. He wants to make us not see things the way they are. And also the God is saying, there's a fight right now for your mind as well. And so Paul is saying, this is the war. This is where it's at. So I want to now go next so we see where the war is. But uh, I want to talk about the weapons of this war, or really what the outcome looks like. So let's read verse 5, or verse 4. Paul says in verse 4, listen, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power 
to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's just stop there. The weapons of the war. Paul doesn't really get specifically into the weapons. We see that more in Ephesians 6. But Paul gets into what the outcome of those weapons do. So he gets into like, hey, the weapons of the war, you know what they do? They destroy strongholds. Every lofty opinion raised against God, it takes that down. Paul, obviously living in a Greco-Roman world and culture, would understand what a stronghold was, right? A stronghold or like a citadel, you think about if you want to take a city down, if you want to take a city down, you got to take the stronghold down. Like we got to attack that. That's where the money is. That's where the, the rulers are. If we take down the stronghold, we take down the city. You see this today in modern days. If we take out the big cities, we can take out the rest of the country. And Paul is basically relaying this idea of a stronghold and he says, listen, we need to take captive our thoughts. We need to take down these strongholds. Some things have taken kind of root in our brain a little bit. If I, if, to put it more literally, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is essentially the lies we believe and base our lives upon. When you think about a stronghold, maybe it's a certain belief you've had for years about God, about life, about someone or something, and it becomes our reality. And he's basically saying, we need to take out these strongholds. The enemy has taken root in our, in our minds in some ways. There are certain beliefs we kind of take about God or the, the scriptures or something, and we intertwine it with the Bible. And we have to realize maybe our minds have been taken captive. Maybe there's a stronghold of the enemy in my mind. Maybe I have a perception of God that is not healthy. Maybe I'm letting the world define my view of sex, of gender, of power, of fill in the blank. And in reality, I say, God, but what, is, what do you say about this? What is your word? Not how do I interpret scriptures from this postmodern secular era we live in, but how do I let scriptures interpret my just day-to-day -day life? And Paul is basically saying, hey, sometimes the enemy takes that stronghold. I love what Proverbs say about this. Proverbs 21 says, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they, tr they trust. A wise man says, no, I'm going to go after that stronghold. Listen, I really do believe today, and this is what I've been praying for our church in all of this. I really do believe that the enemy has certain strongholds or mindsets in our life, and God wants to set you free from that today. I really do believe. I've, I've gotten emails and calls before from people who say, God could never love me, forgive me. One person just on a constant basis, I get the same email or thought, God could never forgive me. You have no idea the things I've done. And I just have to send scripture after scripture. I don't even answer. I just send scripture. I just copy and paste scripture. And I'm like, this is what God says about you. This is who you are. This is what God speaks over you. My point is there are certain mindsets, I believe, that just affect us in profound ways that are actually keeping us back from what God has for us. And I genuinely believe we need the Lord to deliver us from this. If you notice this, he's basically saying our physical weapons will not do enough. Like, like you know, the best arguments, the best philosophical Christian arguments are still not enough. We need the power of God to deliver us from this. There are certain strongholds. It doesn't matter how strong we are. We need the power of God to take this down or take this out. This stronghold, this citadel in our life, it's way too strong. You can never take it out yourself. We need something beyond us. You know, it's interesting. My wife and I, last year, last year, my father-in-law was coming to visit us. We had this, like, tree, kind of bush-looking thing in our, our front yard. We thought it'd be really easy to take it out because it's like a bush tree. I don't know. It's like a giant bush, but it's a tree, I guess. I don't know. But the roots went so deep. So we're, like, chopping it off, chopping it down. And we thought we could, like, we're digging all around it. We could not get the roots out. Our neighbor sees us. He brings an axe as well. And we're trying to get this giant root out. And we realize that we just don't have the power to do this. So he goes, you know what? I have a chain. My neighbor says, you know what? I have a chain. He takes this big old chain, wraps around the tree, drives his car in my front yard, and just drives away. 
and just pulls up the roots with it, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like, I did not have the power. We did not have the power to uproot this. We didn't have, shovel power was enough. We needed truck power, right? And so often in our Christian lives, we go, I don't have the power to remove this mindset or stronghold. We need truck power. We need a power beyond us. And this is the idea that Paul is saying. There are certain strongholds, there are certain opinions about a life, about God. They're just too overwhelming that you, right, you, you do not have the strength. I do not have the strength to take it out. But there is a power of God that resides in us. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 1. I just want to make sure we get this. Paul says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Do we get, Paul says the same thing in Romans. He goes, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. There are certain things you go, I can't remove this mindset, perspective, the things done to me, the things I've done. It's harming me. It's just hurting me. I can't remove this thought. And you're right, you can't. And he says, we need the power beyond us. And I really do believe that there's a supernatural side to this we must acknowledge and, and engage in. We must say, God, there's something so beautiful when you realize and you admit and you confess and you say, God, I don't have the strength. You know, talking to just people in recovery or walking through that journey, just that first step, that idea of just like, hey, I don't have the strength. I, I can't do this. I can't beat this. This is not just for people like all of us must take on this mindset. This is beyond me, God. God, I cannot do this, but you can. This is what he's getting at. He's saying we must remove these strongholds, but this power is beyond us. And here's the thing. Right now, I, I want you guys to think through this. Like, define what that thing is in your life. Do you have a mindset that is made, making you incredibly critical, cynical? It's just hurting you from growing and progressing in your life and your faith? Do you have a certain belief system that's just harming you and how you just handle your day-to-day? I love what Craig Rochelle says about this. He says, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. So define it. What is that thing? You can't defeat what you can't define. What is that thing? What is that mindset? What is that stronghold that God's like, I want to deliver you from this. I want to deliver you, but your shovel's not going to work. You're going to need my power to deliver you from this mindset. Paul is saying to get rid of this, we're going to need a power beyond ourselves. This is so important as we approach this. So I want to look at verse 5 and how he kind of summarizes this. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We destroy this. We want to take every thought captive. Maybe we've heard that phrase, and I just want to unpack that a bit. But he goes, every opinion that is against God, he goes, we want to destroy that. You know, I think one of the best descriptions uh, of just the spiritual war and this battle that takes place in our mind, uh, a pastor named John Mark Comer, he said this. He says, the nature of Satan's strategy are deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Please listen to this. The nature of Satan's strategy, deceptive ideas, but they play into our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Let's sink in for just a moment. Because I think this is so true. You think about the lies Satan feeds us, it's usually not super outlandish. He's not like whispering a lie to us that like, you're like, no, that's not real. Like, hey, Josiah, Tupac's alive. Like, I knew it. Right? The lies that he whispers to us are usually very, very, like, normal. You know, the lies that he whispers to us, we like want to believe them. We want to believe them. You know, you think about just the secular view of, of any topic, the secular view, you could say, of sex, of gender, of marriage. That, you know what, we're not, t- we're not a male and female created in the image of God. 
and we try to blur the lines, we try to redefine terms, redefine things, and we go, well, I kind of want to believe that because it isn't love is love, and I should just ultimately give in to that. Like, don't we want to define it that way? And there's a desire, like, we want that to maybe be real, but then when you hold it to scriptures, you say, no, but love will also speak truth. Love will invite people into your life, do life with them, but love, I care about you too much to let you believe a lie. I care about you too much to let you give your life over to this. I'm going to say the hard thing, even though no one else is willing, but I'm not going to cut you out of my life at the same time. I'm going to pursue relationship with you, but I'm also not going to affirm every idea you have. We want to bring it under, under subjection to God, is basically what Paul says. Take it captive and bring it to God. God, what do you say about this? Ultimately, here is the point. When someone comes to Jesus, he's going to challenge every worldview to some extent. No matter who you are or what you've done, when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you, I want to follow you, I give you my life, every person, sooner or later, will come to this crossroad where they say, here's what I believe and want to be true, but here's what God's word says. And in that moment, again, do we change? Do we repent? Or do we say, God, I want you to change. I want you to repent. The point is, every one of us, at some point in time, is going to have to come face to face with the reality of Jesus. If Jesus Christ died and rose again from the grave, that absolutely changes everything. It doesn't matter what my opinion is on fill in the blank. If Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus, you're risen. Okay, so what do you say about this topic? Like, it doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. I want to submit this over to you. And the reality, like, sometimes I think we start backwards. A lot of times people approach the Bible and say, well, what does God say about this? What does God say about this? Because if, if God agrees with me, then I'll believe in him. And I'm saying you're starting in the wrong spot. Don't ask, what does God say about this? Here's the question. Did Jesus Christ rise from the grave? If so, yes, then it doesn't matter what you and I think. The point that we have to start a lot of times, and people try to get, like, you know, when you talk to them, it's like, well, doesn't the Bible believe this? And I'll be like, hey, hold on. Is Jesus alive? Did he die and rise again? Let's start there. If you and I can land on the resurrection of Jesus, then we'll get into these other topics. And I think this is so important. The enemy wants us to get caught up in arguments that are secondary. And I would say, let's re-engage on what's most important. Let's re-engage on the resurrection of Jesus. And if you come to realize, oh my gosh, Jesus is Lord. He is King of Kings. That he conquered sin and hell and death. Okay, so now Jesus, I will approach scriptures with a new way. Not of, do you agree with me? But what do you say? And I want to submit and agree with you. This has taken every thought captive. We sometimes start backwards. And we think, will Jesus agree with me? It doesn't matter if Jesus agrees with you. What does he say? Start with the resurrection of Jesus. Let's go there. Then let's explore all those little thoughts that come after that. Because if Jesus Christ is risen, then it doesn't really matter what I think. If Jesus Christ is risen, I need to explore what he says about every and any topic. Amen? And this idea of taking these thoughts captive, I think it's so important. And it's interesting. Dallas Willard said this. He says, ideas are the primary stronghold of evil in the human self and in society. It starts with an idea. Winston Churchill actually said this. I thought this is phenomenal. He says, the empires of the future will be empires of the mind. The empires of the future will be empires of the mind. It's more of an ideological tyranny. What we are seeing is a great, I feel like, censorship, almost picking up in different ways again. Fact-checker generation, and then they find out they're wrong, and we have to like, go through this process. We live in a really unique time where people are exploring and seeking after truth, and what is truth, and who decides what is truth, and there's this battle for truth. And there's a battle for censorship. And we have to realize, like, I have to fight for truth. Now, I'd say this, how do I just be so in this book that this filters out any, anything that's not from the Lord? How does, how does this be so hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you? Uh, Keller, Tim Keller would say this, Satan doesn't control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. But with lies in the heart. I just think we have to be very aware of how does the enemy approach and attack today? How does he move? And this is why Paul says, listen, take every thought captive. 
have the perspective of a thought comes into your mind. You're like, okay, Lord, what, what do you say about this? Okay, God, I, I see this debate happening amongst Christians, amongst the church, amongst the world, but God, I'm taking this thought. God, what do you say? I'm going to do the hard work of study, of prayer, of discernment, of diving into your word. I'm going to take this thought captive, and I'm not going to answer or respond until I've given it over to you and started it over to you. This is what he's saying is taking every thought captive. Uh, John Piper, I love what he said about taking your thoughts captive because it's so profound. He says, we are not helpless victims or recipients of our thoughts. We can choose to stop our thoughts and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're not helpless victims here. You know, I love this thought. One author, someone told me this years ago, but it's like, hey, listen, a bird might land on your head. But don't let it build a nest up there. Meaning, when you're going through life, you might have a, a sinful thought or idea or some perspective come into your heart and mind. But you know what? Like, you're going to shoot it off. If a bird lands on your head, no one's like, hey, bird, that's so cool. Like, build a nest. Right? But all the time, we do this with ideas. An idea might come into your mind. A thought might come into your mind. And do you let it, like, build its nest up there? Like, do you give it a home there? He's like, no, you're going to eventually swipe it away. We need to understand that we're not helpless victims when it comes to our thoughts. That you and I do have a choice in the matter. We need to start thinking about what we're thinking about. We need to meditate on different things. That's what Paul saying in Philippians 4, meditate on these things, things that are true and noble and lovely and good report. He said, meditate, think on these things. This is what it means to take your thoughts captive. This word captive just means to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. Just saying, God, I'm just bringing this over to you. You know, it's crazy. There's so many studies done on this. I, I, you know, scientists like years ago used to think that the brain, once you hit a certain age, kind of didn't really change much. And now there's this idea of neuroplasticity. And the idea is that your brain does change over time, right? Uh, there's one author who goes on to say, how does scripture and prayer change your brain? Her name was Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She says this, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer for an, over an eight-week period, it can actually change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. That actually this idea of being in prayer and the word for just 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, you can actually see the brain uh, change on the brain scan. Like we know the Bible talks about the renewing of your mind by saying, God, I'm going to bring these thoughts to you. What does your word say? What, is, what are you telling me through prayer or through scripture? And he said, watch actually God rewire your heart and your mind. It's taking these thoughts captive in this way. Isaiah would say, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. There comes a point in time to say, God, I forsake my thoughts here in this moment. Paul's saying, take it captive, bring it to Christ. And lastly, this is so important. We're going to talk about winning, winning this war. Here's the key element to this. that I think it's so often left out when you talk about this verse specifically. Look at the end of verse 5. The end of verse 5, he says, take every thought captive, what? To obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. It's not just having the right thoughts, but it's having those thoughts that lead you to obedience. Again, it's one thing to agree with Scripture. It's another thing to do Scripture. Just because you're thinking even right doesn't mean you're doing right. You know, and I think we as Americans, we see this word obedience a couple times. We're like, obedience? That's not us. Like, we don't like that, right? But he said, this is key. This is key to winning those thoughts that you have those thoughts that just bring a complete anxiety, fear, some damning thoughts that you might have, the key is not just starting to think on Scripture. That's one part. But thinking on Scripture to the obedience of Christ where you're actually now living it out in your day-to-day -day life. John Calvin said this. He goes, all true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. You see, you might believe the right things about God, but do you believe into those right things? If you truly know God, he says it's born out of obedience. Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, here's the issue with a lot of people in the church. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. You might profess to know God, but does your lifestyle show that you possess God? They profess to know God, but in their life, in their works, they deny him. 
You see, it's one thing to think about the right things. It's another thing to obey Christ in those things, to put it into action. Amen? Listen, I know this is so difficult. It's not just believing the right things. Hey, listen, I'm so glad you're here studying Scripture, diving into that. But church, the point is now, how do we live this out through our week? Like, as soon as we leave this place, as soon as we go home and go to our work and go to our life, do we take these thoughts? Listen, I want to put it this way. Do you obey the promptings of the Spirit when the Holy Spirit's like, hey, go pay for their meal. Go share the gospel with him. Go invite them to church. See, it's not just having those thoughts. Like, oh, I should do that, but you get those promptings, those thoughts, and you know, this is not from me, because I would never tell me to go do that, but you're like, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and give myself to this, I'm going to obey this, and this is where the, the, I think the winning takes place, when your thoughts become your lifestyle, and you're obeying in that way. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books, he says, obedience is the key that opens every door. Obedience is the key that opens every door. If you, if you want to know, like, why am I not seeing life here? Why am I still struggling with the same things over and over again? Because you might know, like Paul, Romans 7, I know what to do. Like, I want to do it, but I'm not doing it. It, it comes to the point where once you bring it into obedience, you go, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing victory now. I didn't just agree with it in my heart or my mind, but I'm actually doing it. I'd say, church, if you're in this battle with your thoughts and your mindset, perspective of others, of what's going on in your day-to-day life, I would say, obviously, meditate on things that are true, noble, and lovely. Take those thoughts captive. Bring it to Jesus. What do you say? But there comes a point in time where you say, now I'm going to do it. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to walk it out. You know, the last thing I just want to share with our church, just when it comes to our thought life, when it comes to just our daily life, it, it is what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 26. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Please hear this, church. Isaiah says, God is going to keep you in perfect peace. In Hebrew, the word peace is just really said here twice. God is going to keep you in shalom, shalom. I love this. And perfect, it's like the word shalom can also mean whole or complete. God's going to keep you in complete peace, in this wholeness peace. If you go, I want wholeness in my life. This area is good, this area is good, but my thought, my mental health. He's going to keep you in shalom, shalom. To, to who? To those whose mind has stayed on you. You wake up, your first thought is, God, good morning, I love you. How are you? Talking to him, praying. You're, throughout the day, you're hungry, you're saying, hey, God, I love you. How's, how's it going? Just talking to God and inviting him into your life. Honestly, there's really no secret. Like, if you want to talk to people, I just, for years, who've been following Jesus, living a life, you're like, I, I love your life. Like, what is it? Keeping your mind on Jesus is key to everything. Bringing the presence of God. He keeps those in perfect peace. And shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you, who trusts in you. I would say, how do you just bring your mind to Jesus? I just want to bring you to every moment, every thought. Jesus, I love you. I invite you into this moment here and now. That person cuts you off on the road. You're like, Jesus, would you be here in this moment right now? Like, how do you just bring Jesus into those daily moments? This is going to be so key for how we walk and live out our Christian life. He keeps those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is stayed on you. You better believe the Bible's a lot to say about our mindset, our thought life, our perspective, whose mind is stayed on Jesus. We want to win. How do we win? Taking those thoughts and bringing it to obedience, bringing it to completion, saying, I will live in this. I will carry this out. Amen? Listen, I know there's this ongoing conversation. I hope that from here, have conversations. Invite someone to coffee this week. Talk through this passage and say, hey, I'm struggling with my thought life. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm struggling with this perspective or mindset I have that how others might think or perceive me. Can you help me? Invite people into this. Meditate on things that are true and noble and lovely. Have this as an ongoing thing, not a shameful thing. I would love to see the church counteract. I think just, it's just beautiful. There's an awareness now of mental health issues, but let's bring it now into this like, idea of bringing Jesus into that par- every part of the conversation where our minds can be stayed on him as we talk about this, where we're going to really give ourselves over to who the person Jesus is as we do this. Amen?
Let me just pray with you guys. We want to end by setting our mind on him and by worshiping. So can we do that? Can we just spend the last few minutes by just singing to our king, singing to Jesus? Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. That, Jesus, by your stripes we are healed. That, God, you've made us a new creation. That we can sing from this place of knowing that we truly have a new identity in you. That God doesn't matter what the world says or even what we say about ourselves. But Jesus, we look to you and say, what do you say? God, I ask for everyone in this place that the self-talk they have in their heart and their mind would be gospel-driven self-talk. That the self-talk they have in their heart and their mind, God, that when they begin to have fear or anxiety, they do what David did and just say, soul, trust in God. Soul, hope in God. Help us just to bring every thought captive. Bring it to you. Surrender to you. God, I ask that you tear down some strongholds in people's lives, some just mental blocks in people's lives, some beliefs that are just not of you, God. Tear those things down. God, help us not ask the wrong question of, does God agree with me? But God, help us just to to agree with you, to look at your word. Lord, we love you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want this time even now to set our mind on you and everything we do in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys just stand and let's just worship the Lord.